Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When we think of witch trials, our minds instantly hark back to people in historical dress. If you're American, you may think of the tabards of the Witches of Salem, or if you're British, your brain may conjure up the roughs of the Elizabethan era. We usually associate witch trials as being synonymous with histories of centuries past, but in London during World War II, a conviction of a curious nature took place. Victoria Helen McRae Duncan, more regularly known as Helen Duncan, made history by being the last person imprisoned in London and Britain more widely under the Witchcraft Act of 1735. During the war she was known for communing with deceased soldiers and revealing information that shouldn't have been for anyone's ears but the government's. Helen had a hotline to dead troops and they were all too happy to reveal the military secrets, but should Helen have been convicted as a spy or as a witch, was her mediumship something the government should have been worried about? Or was the real threat her ability to extract information from the spirit world, which could have delivered a different ending to World War II? Helen Duncan was born in Callander in Scotland in 1897, where she lived for most of her life. She was noted to be an exceptional child with an extraordinary gift. At school, she would disturb her fellow pupils and teachers by telling their fortunes and prophesying the future much to the dismay of her mother, who was strictly religious and didn't like her daughter's talents. Helen married an injured World War I soldier, had six children, and by day had a fairly unremarkable life working at the local bleach factory. But by night she would perform fantastical seances, communing with spirits and allowing attendees to speak with their lost loved ones, becoming widely renowned for her abilities. Helen's popularity grew in Scotland, and it wasn't long before tales of her rare talent started to spread across the UK, and people wanted to see Helen, or Hellish Nell, as she was also referred to in action. 
Vince is London. You will now hear a statement by the Prime Minister. I am speaking to you from the Cabinet Room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British Ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. On the 3rd of September 1939, Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England, declared war against Germany, and what would become Britain's involvement in World War II began. Over the next six years, Britain lost over 300,000 servicemen, and civilians and the bereaved were desperate to reconnect with their loved ones. Many had also lost someone in World War I and sought some form of comfort in knowing that they were doing okay in the afterlife. Spiritualism, a craze that had developed in the 1800s, offered solace in the form of convening through a medium who would communicate your deceased loved one's wishes to you. Mediums who were gifted at this would travel around the country and visit different spiritualist churches and groups where they would perform seances to a curious paying audience. During the 1920s, spiritualism had taken a beating from those set out to expose fraudsters and fakes, with even celebrities such as Harry Houdini queuing up to disprove their claims. In February 1921, Thomas Lynn Bradford, a medium in Detroit, Michigan, set up the ultimate experiment to prove the existence of an afterlife, by promising to return from the dead. Bradford was so convinced he would come back from the spirit world that he committed suicide after agreeing with a fellow medium that he would return the next day in spirit form to deem the experiment a success. On the 6th of February, Thomas blew the pilot light out on his gas heater, opened the valve up to full and tucked himself into bed. Ruth Doran, the medium who was tasked with reaching Bradford after his suicide, waited 48 hours for him to make contact, but heard nothing and called the experiment a failure. After the fraud accusations of spiritualism in the early 1920s had swept across America, the British followed suit, and by the late 1920s, suspicion was definitely being cast upon those who professed to having the gift. However, the scepticism of the public didn't seem to affect business for the mediums, with plenty of people still willing to pay to sit in the dark for even a hazy glimpse of a long-dead relative. Perhaps the two world wars helped to exacerbate the desire for contact with the afterlife and an ever-declining population on a nightly basis during the Blitz made business boom for mediums. Helen Duncan was not excluded from the scepticism of the 1920s and she was investigated during 1928 and accused of being a trickster with her seances being more ghastly than ghostly. Helen's seances would begin with her sinking into a deep trance-like state. She would speak through a spirit guide who would lead the seances. I've managed to obtain a clip of Helen during a seance, a clip of which I will play for you now. The loud voice you will hear first is Albert, Helen's regular spirit guide, and the softer voice is Helen's talking to a lady in the crowd. I want someone, yes I do, but further back, towards the corner there, to 
ask a young lady out that passed towards her today. Now, I have a feeling that she's had an operation of some kind. Is this a man? Will you try her on? Come on, dear. No, she doesn't move on your voice. Alongside Albert's appearances, during the seances, Helen would also produce large amounts of ectoplasm, a supernatural substance which aids the manifestation of spirits from her mouth. Helen would call visible spirits into the room, which could be seen floating around the ceiling, and she would regularly have ghosts appear in her lap or from under her black silk robes. Despite claims of fraud, an arrest in Scotland over producing a fake ghost of a child made from a knitted vest, and tests on her ectoplasm, showing it was actually cheesecloth, people still flocked to see Helen in their hundreds, perhaps for the spectacle of her performance alone. In November 1941, Helen was busy travelling from town to town on her regular tour circuit. In Portsmouth, at a small upstairs room of a psychic centre, her agent had secured her an appearance. During the war, Portsmouth was heavily bombed due to its status as a major naval base, and many of its civilians perished. The residents of Portsmouth had many family members who were part of the naval forces, who left from the town to fight on the seas or under them, and with communications being scarce at best, many clutched at an opportunity to speak with their potentially deceased family members. Helen charged 25 shillings per ticket, that's around £5 today, to attend the seance, and with a packed room, Helen began in the usual way by explaining to the crowd the types of encounter that they may expect to experience throughout the evening, and to not be alarmed by any manifestations they may see. With the Blitz in full swing, all buildings across Great Britain were required to have blackout blinds installed with all light being extinguished to avoid enemy planes spotting towns of importance like Portsmouth, all of which only added to the mood. Helen quickly sunk deep into a trance, and expecting Albert to arrive and lead proceedings, she was surprised to be visited by a different spirit guide. A disembodied voice claiming to be Sid, a deckhand from the HMS Barham, a Royal Navy battleship, appeared in full spiritual form, his ghost even wearing an HMS Barham hat. Sid stated that the Barham had been sunk, and that he and his shipmates had perished as part of the German submarine attack. The announcement from Sid was actually a military secret, sworn only to those who needed to know. The relatives of the men who had perished on the Barham had been informed by letter, but were told the news was for their eyes only. So either Sid hadn't been informed of this fact, or being a spirit, he had nothing left to lose by letting the information slip, as he cannot convict a dead man. The news of the barroom was finally revealed to the public three months later in January 1942, but by this time it was hardly a secret to the general public, and particularly those resident in a naval town. With an estimated 861 who had perished in the attack, all 861 of the deceased families were notified, and despite being told to keep the secret safe, loose lips sink ships, it was inevitable that it would leak into the public domain sooner or later. 
police officer had been attending the seance at the psychic centre on the evening of Sid's revelation, and he fed back to the Portsmouth Chief of Police, who made sure Helen received a visit from the boys in blue. She was then watched very closely by the authorities, as they were interested in where her information was coming from and her potential to leak state secrets. Before the 1941 seance in Portsmouth, Helen, or rather Albert, had spoken about another boat being sunk during a seance in Edinburgh in May of that year. An admiral from the Navy happened to be in the audience that evening, and shocked by the news of a British ship sinking, he thought it was best to check with the authorities as to the provenance of Helen's claim. After listening to the news and not hearing anything reported, he called into the naval switchboard and was assured that no ship had been sunk. In the morning, however, he received a call to say that the HMS Hood had sunk after being attacked by German battleship the Bismarck. Helen was being closely watched by the authorities, and in a paranoid intense Britain under the threat of German invasion at any moment, she was a cause for concern. If Helen had leaked any military plans that were leading up to the D-Day landings, she could have threatened national security. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...and given the enemy the upper hand. Helen was allowed to keep practising her mediumship up until 1944, when she was arrested at a staged seance in Portsmouth by two officers who charged her with vagrancy. Helen was then taken to London, where at the Old Bailey, she was put on trial from the 23rd of March to the 3rd of April, alongside three other accomplices, her crime being witchcraft. The Witchcraft Act of 1735 was used to prosecute Helen, as no other act or law fitted her supposed crime. There was not enough evidence to try her as a spy, and the theft charge can be issued, as she did deliver on what she said she would at her seances. The defence for Helen at her trial was strong, with 49 witnesses taking to the stand to profess her innocence and credibility as a medium. The witnesses gave compelling accounts of visions of deceased relatives and friends, historical figures and even long-dead pets. The prosecution only provided five witnesses against Helen, and two of those were the officers that arrested Helen at the stage seance. Some of the evidence they produced to convince the jury was from the seance where Sid appeared to announce the sinking of the barroom. A hatband was found in Helen's possession, which bore the name HMS Barham upon it. But Helen had not realised that by this point during the war, naval uniforms were being produced at such a rate that hatbands for ships no longer bore the name of the ship, only the HMS mark. Helen's ectoplasm that she would produce during seances 
also came into question, but nothing could be proven, despite previous experiments on the material proving its less-than-authentic nature. The court heard how Helen would often suffer nosebleeds during her trances, leading them to believe that she was concealing the cheesecloth ectoplasm internally in her throat or nose, but no other accounts could confirm this. The evidence heard against Helen from the prosecution was compelling yet sparse, and so to help convince the judge and jury further that Helen was genuine, the defence asked her to perform a seance at the court. The judge initially declined, but after a long round of persuasion, he eventually relented. The offer of a real-life seance was given to the jury, but after several days of trials that were continually interrupted by bombing over London, the extensive examination of many witnesses and endless questioning, the jury declined. Instead, they opted to head straight to deliberate on Helen's fate, to save themselves some time and to bring an end to the case. After a short deliberation, the jury announced their decision. Helen was found guilty of performing fraudulent witchcraft and sentenced to nine months in Holloway Prison. As Helen's case was a national sensation at the time, even the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, chimed in with his thoughts on the trial. In a memo to Home Secretary Herbert Morrison, he referred to the case as obsolete tomfoolery and a waste of court resources. After her brief stint in Holloway, Helen vowed to never practice mediumship again and returned to Scotland from London. Her abstinence from the spirit world didn't last long, though, and she was soon practising again, not touring as she used to, instead opting to carry out seances closer to home. In 1956, Helen was again raided by the police at a seance, and was disturbed while she was in a deep trance. Later she complained of feeling unwell, and later that evening she passed away. Her followers said her cause of death was due to being awoken whilst communing with the spirits, so they'd kept her in their world instead of returning her to this one, or maybe it was the threat of another stint behind bars that caused poor Helen to shuffle off this mortal coil. Helen is called the last witch of Britain, and is still quoted as many by being the last person tried for witchcraft in the UK, but she wasn't. There was one more trial before the repeal of the Act. In May 1944, Jane York, a 72-year-old woman who lived in Forest Cate in the east end of London, was a practising medium for many years, working from her basement on Romford Road. Jane took as much advantage of the grieving war widows as Helen did, but her specific speciality was private readings. She would contact the other side through various different spirit guides, her usual helper being a Zulu, who would impress people with his loud war cry. Her other spirit guides included celebrity appearances from author Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who created Sherlock Holmes, and also Queen Victoria would pop in from time to time. Jane would communicate using a trance-like state and would deliver wildly inaccurate foretellings from the spirits, and this was set to be her undoing. After a false reading was given to a policeman, where Jane stated that his auntie had died, but she was actually well and alive and only just down the road, Jane was arrested. After several more complaints were made against her, Jane was, much like Helen, raided by the police after a staged reading. Jane was arrested and charged for performing fraudulent witchcraft and brought before the Old Bailey, the same place that Helen was tried. 
Jane didn't really see the harm in offering people a bit of hope during such a tense time in Britain, and saw offering seances and readings multiple times a day in the evening as a way to bring in money to keep her going in her old age. Instead of being in prison, Jane was fined £5 for her crime, and told to be on her best behaviour for the foreseeable future, or else she would soon find herself locked behind bars. To cope with the increasing numbers of mediums and the fraud being carried out by those that did not have the gift, the Fraudulent Medium Act was brought in in 1951, which would see an end to the convictions of witchcraft in Britain forever. Witches were once part of everyday life in medieval times, much like a baker or a butcher. People would go to them to help them with their problems, find a way through situations, and to heal them of their ills. So what changed throughout the ages that Britain, and in particular London, that started to turn against the witches that had once been pillars of their communities? Was it the accusations of witchcraft against those in power, such as Anne Boleyn, wife of Henry VIII in the 1500s, who set the wheels in motion? Or maybe the plague of 1665, which saw witches being blamed for cursing London streets, becoming responsible for the deaths of over 68,000 people across the city? Perhaps it was more to do with the perceived quackery and fraud of the late 18th and early 1900s. Throughout its time, witchcraft has worked for and against the people. When things have worked out well in the presence of a witch, magic was seen to be beneficial and the witch praised, but if things went badly, the witch would pay, usually with her life. One thing that does have to be explored is the relationship of witchcraft with women. What led to thousands of women being accused of witchcraft and sentenced to death for seemingly not having any demonstrable powers? Women were tortured, subjected to harsh physical punishments, inspected and killed for displaying qualities which were seen as undesirable. Was crying witch just a way to get rid of those who weren't understood by their peers? Or perhaps it was an easy way to silence someone who was outspoken, independent, opinionated and in control of their own power? Or was it just a fear of the unknown? Whatever your opinion of witchcraft, the legacy of the Witches of London cannot be denied. And I know for one that the next time I pass through Wapping, I'll be looking out for a squirrel who might want to stop for a chat. Please keep listening to find out what's coming up next time on Macabre London. But first, we just want to tell you quickly about Patreon. Now, I know at the end of many podcasts, there is a certain amount of begging that comes from content creators like myself. But please don't switch off just yet. Patreon is a great way to support artists and people like me who spend time creating things that we know you'll love. And the best thing is we put them out there for free. 
I don't believe in not being able to access content just because people can't afford it, and I know myself that sometimes money is tight. Having access to free podcasts is wonderful, and being able to get fresh new episodes of my favourite shows, All For Nothing, is fantastic. Patreon allows those who can afford to gift as little as $1 a month, that's about 80 pence, to creators in return for incentives. Now, I've devised a list of clever incentives that I think you'll like. But if you'd like something different, just email me at macabrelondon at hotmail.com. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E-L-O-N-D-O-N at hotmail.com. You can see the incentives for yourself at www.patreon.com forward slash macabrelondon and you'll be able to know that you're supporting something that you really like too. Coming up next time on Macabre London. Trains, pain and underground squeals. We'll be heading into the dark, dusty and deep world of the London Underground. If you're fascinated by the miles of underground rat runs this city calls a transport system, then you'll love hearing our claustrophobic and spooky tales. However, you might not want to listen to that one if you're commuting in London. We'll see you then. Macabre London is hosted on Acast and written, performed and produced by me, Nikki Drews, with additional scripts editing by Neil Murray. Music for each episode can be found in the show's description box on iTunes, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.